The Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. Today, I am very excited to be speaking with Lewis Schiff from Birthing of Giants. Lewis Schiff is the chairman of the board of experts for Birthing of Giants Fellowship Program and executive director of Moonshots and Moneymakers, the Oxford Innovation Conference for American Entrepreneurs. He founded Inc. Magazine's Business Owners Council, where he interviewed some of the most accomplished entrepreneurs in the world. He has authored or co-authored several books on success, including The First Habit, The One Technique That Can Change Your Life, and Business Brilliant, Surprising Lessons, from the greatest self-made business icons. Over the past two decades, he built and sold two media businesses to publicly traded companies, iVillage and TheStreet.com. As far as an introduction of myself, my name is Stephen Halastic. I'll be the host for today, and I am co-founder of Financing Solutions. Over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range, one company was on the Inc. 500 fastest growing company, and, the, and another was at 1126. And during that time, I learned how hard it was to deal with commercial banks. So we started, my business partner and I started financing solutions uh, uh, over 10 years ago. I can't tell you how important it is for businesses to have a line of credit, even just for unexpected emergencies. So our line of credit program is easy to get in place and expensive when used and costs nothing to set up, making it a great cash backup your plan. If you would like to learn more about our line of credit program, sorry, line of credit program, please visit us at fscreditline.com. That's FS as in financing solutions, creditline.com, or give us a call at 862-207-4118. If you apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file. Just remember, the time to set up the line of credit is when you don't need it. Uh, so today, again, I'd really like to welcome Louis Schiff uh, to the Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Hey, Stephen. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I am uh, very excited about today's podcast. Um, there is just so many good stuff inside of it. Um, I know I, there's a couple of areas that I think is going to be very interesting in this podcast. And uh, so today's topic is moonshots and moneymakers making the leap to a billion dollar company. And when you hear that topic as a listener, you're like, yeah, right. Like I'm going to have a billion dollar company. Right. But, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about what moonshot and moneymaker means. And then after he draws this aspirational Sorry. picture of what the ideal nonprofit would look like, Sorry about that. I don't know how. <laughs> like my phone all day has been going off at the strangest time, so I apologize. Go ahead. This is technology run amok. Yeah. Um, there's a handful of phenomenon, Stephen, that have taken place in the last few years, and every one of them, you'll say, "Oh yeah, I guess I've thought of that or heard of that." But when they come together, they have become a very combustible mix. Um, and so. I run a school for business owners and a very particular kind of business owner because not all business owners slash entrepreneurs are the same person. Um, so if you were at a cocktail party right now and you talked about being an entrepreneur, probably the vision people would have in mind is that you're starting up, you're raising money, it's got something to do with tech. They probably wouldn't think about it much more beyond that. Um, the truth of the matter is 
business in America, especially the innovative part of business in America, largely comes from individuals who start small businesses that solve problems for larger industries. And they start these companies relatively inexpensively. We call them starting them at their proverbial kitchen table. What I mean by that is that they usually start because they got some kind of a gig from a client that they maybe they used to work for that company or they know somebody in that field. And so, you know, they get a, let's say a $25,000 project and they take a little bit of that money and they hire one or two or three people. Well, fast forward five, 10 years, if they've been working in the right industry and doing a good job, now they run, let's say a five or $10 million company. And they come to Birthing of Giants fellowship program, my school, um, when they want to figure out how to turn that $10 million company into something bigger, something sellable. So the moonshots and moneymakers phenomenon came out of that school where we were watching students come in with their 10 million, 20 million, $50 million businesses. And by the time we took them through our process, they were actually valued at a billion dollars. And we were discovering that the path from let's say 10 million to a billion was actually not as complicated as we thought. I mean, there's plenty of risks involved for sure, which we can talk about, but the path, the actual roadmap became very clear to people. And all of a sudden, the conversation inside Birthing of Giants Fellowship Program became, how are you going to turn your moneymaker, a company that makes money, which is what brought you to the school to begin with, into a moonshot, a company that's valued as if it was a tech, a high-flying, fast-growth tech phenomenon. And that's been happening more often. So we created a whole conference around that one phenomenon. I love it. I wish I, I, wish I had it. <laughs> I wish I had it 20 years ago. Because I, I tell you, uh, I... All the businesses I started, not to say all the businesses, the first four businesses I started, I, I, well, let me not the first four, maybe the first three. Okay. I <laughs> thought I would be able to pivot into a much bigger company. Now I never, I was never under the grandiose theme that I would be a billion dollar company. I just, I just, I always liked hitting singles. I didn't like, you know, hitting, I didn't like going for a home run. I just, that wasn't exactly my personality. Right. So I thought, especially with the second company, which was Expert Seeker, which did great financially, but it was, you know, a small business, right? I got, I got that company to about, you know, $6 million and in, in revenue and, you know, the, the profits were really good, uh, right. awesome on it. But, um, but the point being is that, and again, I was very inexperienced at the time, but I really thought I would be able to pivot away from that business into something that was uh, less ownership involved. Right. Right. Which a lot That's of businesses key. are. Small businesses, That's a lot key. of the owners are really involved in the success of the business. You take right. out the owner out of the equation, which is, you know, the sign of a bad company if it can't keep going. And, uh, and, it, it fails. Right. Right. Uh, now, and this is the other part about this, like the two business, two of the businesses I have right now, uh, which are both $25 million businesses. We took a long time. My business partner and I, uh, it took a long time really deciding the type of businesses we wanted. Right. And we, we actually, I would say more my business partner than me said he didn't want a really big company, mm -hmm. right? He just didn't, we didn't, he didn't want that. I kind of wanted it, but he didn't want it. Right. So I would have been the one going to your school, right? And I would have loved the methodology 
uh, or even the focus of saying, okay, what do we have here that we can do a little more with? Right. Um, right. Now, how long has Birthing the Giants been around? Well, this, this is sort of a reboot of a program that's been around for a couple of decades. This yeah. version is about six years old, um, but it's a little bit of the old version too because uh, the, the faculty that makes up – it's kind of a great story, but it's, I'll tell it really quickly. Um, you know, Birthing of Giants kind of burst out of the gate about 25 years ago with this really interesting faculty. And in many ways, um, schools like this are, you know – who is the faculty? That's what a lot of people have in their minds. They also want to know who are the students. But the um, faculty were you know, a great group of, of entrepreneurs. Well, fast forward 20 years, and they become some of the, the best known entrepreneurs. It was almost a coincidence, really. And so all of those, that original faculty came back to be part of the reboot of Birthing a Giants. And now today, they're post-exit, you know, billions of dollars of uh, exit entrepreneurs with a lot of wisdom to share. Uh, so I, on the one hand, I am happy to say that Birthing of Giants has that original faculty, but even better, it's a faculty that's gone on to do a lot of what they're famous for, and therefore their their wisdom as a faculty is off the charts. And so you described the example of who's in Birthing of Giants fellowship program to a T, which is somebody who says this company has to be less dependent on the owner. You know, that is the story because as I often tell people, no one's going to hand you a hundred million dollar check and then expect you to show up at work on Monday with the same attitude. So no, you must, you must build a business that can run without you in order to unlock its full value. And that really is what the Birthing of Giants Fellowship Program does. Yeah, I'm actually a graduate of the Birthing of Giants MIT program that was sponsored by Inc. Magazine. Uh, so that was a three-year program that I went through at MIT uh, with 60 entrepreneurs. Are you related to that at all? Yeah. So, so yes. Um, again, that the fact, I don't know what years you went, but that- uh, origi- I think 2009. Yeah. Right. So that original faculty was long gone. They, they came back in 2016 with the reboot, but um, we do hold it at MIT. There's still, it ended up being a little bit of a splinter, you know, because there's an old program and a new program, but the new program, it has the name of the old program. So it's a little confusing. Yeah. But we have, anyway, it's, it depends on what you mean. Is it the same program? It's still held at MIT. It's still got the original faculty, um, this different owners. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I loved it. I loved it. I, I yeah. thought it was unbelievable that um, the program, it was, I would Highly recommend if I, I don't know if they still have it, uh, but uh, they it was you know a three year program, but it wasn't three years. It was every year for three years for one full week. And what's amazing, I think there's about sixty to seventy of the fastest growing companies that applied uh, to go to this uh, uh, major conference. And what's amazing is how many of those people who went there with me did really well. Yeah. I mean, that's re- how our students are too. You know, it's uh, you can't believe how well everybody's doing. Yeah, this program. really amazing. I mean, I mean, I would say ninety percent of the people who went, you know, became lifelong entrepreneurs, uh, regardless if they took the company that they had that was there. Um, they still have them. You know, usually as an entrepreneur, you're remaking yourself. It's never just one company that you stay with the whole time. Right. You know, I, I know. I, uh, so, so, um, so what is, what do you think the trademark is of the companies that make that leap to a much bigger, let's say, it doesn't have to be a billion dollar company, but a company that, you know, 
a VC maybe comes in and helps it go public or, you know, that it's, it's got multiple versions where people are buying the company and there's, you know, it's a bigger company. Right. Well, you, you put your finger on it. The first thing that um, an entrepreneur has to accept or kind of get their head around is the idea that they will not, they will no longer be the sole owner of their company or they in a partner that they will have these people. We'll call them professional investors. You said VC venture capital it could be private equity, venture capital, family office. It could be angels. But the point is these professional money people come in and you end up building what's called a board of directors. And even if you're a big equity holder, you, you become an employee to your own company. And that leap is the first and in many ways, the biggest leap that an entrepreneur has to make because a lot of folks will say, Nope, I like being my own boss. Yeah, you, you'd offer, you offered me some money for this company. Yes, that'll put me on a trajectory to build a bigger company. But now I have to share authority with you. Not interested. So that is the very first fork in the road for anyone who's at a moneymaker level that wants to contemplate being a moonshot is that there's going to be a point in which you're going to need outside money. And if you need outside money, you're going to have to share control. So, so let's take a real life scenario. Uh, of the second company I have. And then tell me how birthing at Giants would have kind of helped me come up with another process. And I don't know if I would have been a candidate for it, but so the company was called expertseeker.com, right? And so the original vision here was, now this was, uh, that started in 97, I think. And, um, so I got into the business. I, I hit this. I knew I was hitting a perfect storm of uh, what it did is it placed very high end computer consultants into Fortune 500 companies. So these people at the time were working for PwC, like PricewaterhouseCoopers, Ernst & Young, which is now E&Y. Uh, and they were leaving those companies where they were billing out at $500 an hour, but getting paid a salary. And going out on their own and getting paid uh, from me $150 an hour, $200 an hour, and billing out at $350. And so these were the experts. These were the really high end people, the best that the, the best it was. So, um, so now the vision I had had at the time was now we, we had we hit a perfect storm because it was the year 2000 bug going on. There was something called ERP being implemented in the United States. It just, needed a lot of these people. Yeah. And, and again, we got it to about $6 million and, uh, but I knew the wave was going to be over when uh nine 11 hit. I knew it was over hmm. for a variety of different reasons. Okay. And I don't want to bore everybody here, but so, um, so what I, what I also thought too, was, you know, the, the, the vision of, you know, the staffing company at the time, I thought, uh, how can I automate that? So like, you know, now everyone knows indeed or monster.com or some of the sure. other job boards. How could I get rid of the recruiter who's involved in this process and hook, you know, these just have it done automatically. Mm -hmm. Anyway. So I struggled making that turn. We didn't right. never really made that turn. The name was good. Uh, so if I had applied to birthing of giants, what do you think you would have had it kind of helped me with? Right. Well, so we take everyone through the same process, right? Because what people in birthing of giants discover is that whether you have a services company or a product company, a B2C, B2B, B2Government, there's so much in common. 
but they're also different. And so the process essentially, um, almost like an air traffic controller, the first thing we have to do is whether it's a small plane or a big plane, we've got to get them lined up on the runway kind of equally spaced from each other. So your business is a business that would have benefited probably more from software than from, let's say, robotics. So, you know, that's sort of a difference between, let's say, a manufacturing company that comes through and a, and, and a services business. But the qualities of those two challenges, let's say manufacturing versus services, are the same, which is we look for opportunities in your business to um, imply technology that does one of two things. Either it increases the gross margin substantially, or it um, uh, increases the audience you can access. And the home run is when it can do both. So you take your business and you think to yourself, <coughs> I'm going to make all the numbers up. You've got 100 clients and they were accessing you for, for clients. And so how do we increase the audience? So your clients might have been focused in the Northeast or they could have been focused in America. How do we increase the addressable audience, right? Because that makes your business more valuable. The second is your business had a gross margin. So let's just say it was 30, 40, 50% on those kinds of businesses. Yep. Um, how do we increase it? So that's if you just focus on those two things, forget the word technology for a moment. How do I increase my gross margins and how do I increase my totally total addressable market? You will find that technology is almost always the answer. So instead of people saying, I want to start a tech company, in the Moonshots and Moneymakers parlance, we would say you wanted to turn that business into a company that pivoted from Moneymaker to Moonshot, which has to have those two qualities, increase the size of the audience and increase the addressable market. And the more, the better you do that, the more valuable the company becomes. So it would have been, um, to use examples that exist today, we would have said like Upwork. You know, Upwork is a company that yeah. has a lot of behind the scenes technology that's helping us figure out whether we should work with expert A or expert B. Um, and, you know, the, th the things that would have come through your conversation, driven by you probably, would have been things like predictive analytics. You know, how do we use, how do we figure out which experts are doing a great job? How do we allocate their time the most effectively? How do we price them the most effectively? And so instead of it being a very human process, it would have been driven more by technology. Um, and then you would have said, okay, we know the most common question that our clients seem to have of our, of our experts is, you know, my, I have a blue screen of death. What do I do about it? Or, or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this ERP implementation and I don't know how to, you know, make change happen across a hundred employees at the same time. And once you figured out what the common challenges were, you'd apply technology to it and you'd find that, um, as you often hear in technology companies, data is one of the bigger opportunities. So now if you say, okay, how are we going to use big data and predictive analytics? And I'm like short-circuiting a much longer process. Yeah. Um, you might say, oh, yeah, sure, I can do that. But I can't fund that out of the you know million dollars of profit we have every year. I, I want to take home quarter of a million of it, and I have to spend the rest on you know various things. Uh, we say, yeah, well, you have to get to the point where you prove out your model, and then you're going to raise money. And now you and your partner who owned 100% are going to own 75 and 50 and 25% of a, of a much larger company that applied technology appropriately to do those two things, increase your addressable market and increase your, your gross margin. You know, the reason why Facebook is such a valuable company is that its gross margin is north of 80%. It's actually close, it's very close to 90%. Wow. And so that's crazy. It's crazy. You know? And so, um, you know, there's a reason why tech companies are valued highly. It's because... I'll just use Facebook as the biggest example. It's got a global audience. So it's total addressable market is everybody everywhere that has internet access. And it's got a phenomenal gross margin. And that's why it's worth what it's worth. It's not the technology. It's that those two features are present in however they put it together. 
we've had people come through our program where what techno- applying technology means is not at all what you think. It's not software. You know, um, there's a, a wonderful company based in New Jersey. Uh, she runs a meat wholesaling company. So you could call that a butcher, but it's a very big one. It's a $150 million you know, meat wholesaling company. And when she discovered new ways to take the cow and cut it up so that she could create more product out of every cow, that's called technology. And her gross margin went up. That's a good thing. And it all has to do with treating the cow, cutting up the cow differently. It's not ones and zeros. It's not software. So you have to have a very open mind about how you accomplish those two goals. Now, did she do that? Did she make that transition while going to Birthing a Giants? She's actually um, a wonderful business owner I've gotten to know in uh, who has not been through our program yet. I've just kind of gotten to know her and, and kind of like studied her story. We, have, we run a, a, a website called How I Did It. Birthing of, birthingofgiants.com slash how I did it, where we feature phenomenal transitions from Moneymaker to Moonshot. And actually, I can think of two of them that we featured in New Jersey, uh, where you're from, Stephen, that are phenomenal. But they, these are not folks who went through our program, but they are, there are lots of people doing the Moonshots to Moneymaker pivot around the world. Did you find that those two companies are the ones that you've studied? Um, you know, they kind of started off at, you know, I'm, I, I'm trying to figure out why I couldn't do it, like why I couldn't pivot, right? And I did, I did, I did actually a pretty good job of not working in the business. I'm working mm-hmm. on the business, and I don't know. I felt like I felt like there was a a wall in front of my mind that stopped me from thinking bigger. <clears throat> Well, the working on the business, not in the business phenomenon is, is central to Birthing of Giants. I mean, a lot of folks go to our program, as I said, to make it less owner dependent, which is another way of saying working, you know, to use yeah. Michael Gerber's famous phrase, owner versus in the business. But um, the the phenomenon, that's, that's, you can build a very, very valuable moneymaker business. So that business of yours at $6 million, let's say it had a 30% gross margin. Yeah, our, our profits were a million dollars. A million dollars. So, you know, the, the you got to get the owner out of that business for that company to become valuable as a multiple of earnings. Um, so maybe that company was worth five to $10 million mm. uh, based on that. And if you just make all those numbers bigger, in other words, if you had gotten it from 6 million to 10 million to 20 million through sweat, you know, without ever taking an outside money or without ever really thinking about how to apply technology, then your margins would have gone from a million to three million, and then your it could have been worth thirty million dollars. And so, if someone paid you thirty million dollars in our world, look at Birthing a Giants. If you exit with thirty million dollars, while that is a lot of money, that puts you at the way low end scale of our exits. I mean, yeah. people are exiting for a quarter of a billion and up in yeah. our program. Yeah, I don't uh, think it was like. It was a very hard company to sell. And what, I tell you the truth, one of the reasons why the Entrepreneur MBA podcast says that uh, your mission uh, is to help you get past $10 million is because at the $10 million mark, I learned that's when other companies begin to begin to say, oh, I have some interest maybe in buying you guys. It's like that $10 million mark, unless you have something that's you know right, right. related, right? So, well, again, yeah, again, something that in, something that enables scale. But yeah, so your your ten million dollar number is an important number, so long as your gross margin is yes. okay, and, and so long as your EBITDA stays. Because okay. with Expert Seeker, what they were, it, it also listen. It, the timing has to be right for companies wanting to do like a roll up or something like that, which is when they want to buy a number of companies in an industry. And the other thing is, they're what they're really <laughs> buying is your clients. That's what they were buying. 
You no. see, it's it's not so. There's a lot of ways to exit. So you're describing one way of exiting, and you're describing sort of the money maker exit, which again right. could be a very big number. Right, right. Um, but you're not describing the moonshot exit. So the moonshot, the money maker exit is going to be Agreed. private equity roll up. Right. Moonshot exits are tech, yep. venture capital, corporate M and A. You know, and so the the moonshots and money makers conversation fits into this thing called the innovation economy. And so if you're in New Jersey, where the big, you know, one of the biggest industries is pharmaceutical, the, um, the pharmaceutical industry is looking for innovation, right? So they may start something internally, but much more often they're buying a company that has figured something out and they don't really care. You know, Johnson Johnson doesn't want your client. Yeah, they yeah, want yeah. your tech. Yeah. So it, it depends on what kind of exit path you're going. Look, I mean, one of the tricky things for anyone going through our program is they have to say to themselves, here's the path I'm looking for. And when you choose that path, you exclude other paths. And so as simple as um, corporate M&A, if, if a company is going to buy you, often it's because you do something that they don't do, right? You do the sixth thing, they do the other five things. But if you're going for private equity, private equity would say, oh, do all six of those. That represents diversity. So you have to choose your path. The very first thing we do in Birthing a Giants Fellowship Program is we basically orient you towards the capital markets. Capital markets are not monolithic. Private equity, family office, venture capital, corporate M&A, it goes on. And so you have to say, well, if I want to be attractive to corporate M&A, here's how I have to build myself. And they could be buying you for clients. They could be buying you for skill set or technology. Yeah, it's just like what I said earlier on, you know, with financing solutions, it's all self-funded. We don't have any investors. So it's all, you know, our money. Right. Um, You know, the discussion that we often had, Keith and I, early on was... Uh, do we want to bring in other people's money and and build this big, right? And Keith was really against that. And I, I'm not saying that I was for it or against it. Um, I, uh, I always wanted to run a much bigger company. So, right. you know, and, uh, but... Well, you it? very much get into when you do that, right? So, you know, we, t- we if you have... Um- a business that's growing and doing well, but the one thing you don't have is, let's say, money to market it, or you don't, or in the case of a bank, you you have you know ten million dollars to to lend, you don't have a billion dollars to lend, and so that's a that's a moment where you'd say, if I had a billion, I could lend a billion, but it's important to know that you know Stephen and his partner would own less of that company. Yeah, but the phenomenon in in money is not just that you need to build a ten million dollar company. Let's say with EBITDA of, of one, two, three million dollars. It's that when the EBITDA goes up, in other words, when that $10 million company earns, let's just keep it simple, the $10 million company earns a million dollars. Um, if the $20 million company earns $4 million, in other words, if the percent of EBITDA goes up because you find efficiencies in scale, et cetera, that $4 million is not just worth four times to the market, it's actually worth six to 10 times to the market because this is the capital markets. The capital markets are looking for bigger deals. They want bigger deals. So they overpay or they pay a premium the bigger the deal gets. Hmm. So your multiple on on a million dollars of earnings might be 10 and your multiple on on um, $5 million of earnings might be 20 just because you've gotten to a bigger deal, hmm. right? Hmm. So it, it, there's like, it's a, it's a very, you have to understand the capital markets. This is the biggest gap amongst entrepreneurs is that 
they build companies that they think are valuable and they'll say, oh yeah, I know a guy who sold his company for this much down the road, but they have no idea the language of the capital markets, which determines so much of why we build our companies the way we build them. I mean, that's day one of, of birthing a giants is, you know, understand the capital markets. Yeah. What's interesting too, is like, so, you know, I, I, I talk about this a lot that, that being an entrepreneur is autodidactic. So it's self-taught. That's what autodidactic yeah. means, right? So you start off this little rinky dink company, right? You, maybe you nowadays you're working out of your house, right? And, you know, the, the first thing you're learning about, and this is very simplistic, about is about, okay, what type of of accounting software do I use and how do I, you know, handle that? You know, how do I get clients? Those type of things. Well then like later on, and now we're talking about my business and that is, okay, the company's growing and how do I finance it? You know, how do I, so how do I get a line of credit? Right. So then you start working with banks, which you had never worked with before. And you start realizing, uh, Oh, okay. They don't care about my business plan. <laughs> All I care about is the collateral I have. The my uh, you know they uh, they want to look at the income statement and the balance sheet for my company. They want to know my credit score. They want to know all these other things. And you learn that language. And right. dealing with banks is a learning experience. So now we're talking about you know again. Then we go to another level, which you you know you talk about the the, the capital markets, right? Right. That it's like you're always having to learn this stuff that's all new. That <laughs> I was a business major at college. That what a yeah. joke! What a joke! Well, right? we 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 have a, 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 a philosophy at Birthing and Giants, which is called the Zone of Proximal Development, which is kind of what you just said. How do you learn the next thing you need to know? Yeah. Uh, interestingly, and so you know, part of this conversation is around how do you start billion dollar companies, and so. You, you can actually sit there with the exact same napkin, so to speak. You know, we start our businesses in the back of a napkin. And you could map out a moneymaker, which is everything you're describing. And you can map out a moonshot. Um, and then you can think about, you know, how do you pivot from moneymaker to moonshot if you've already got a moneymaker. But all these phenomenon are um, all about the zone of proximal development. How do you know what you need to know next? All you need to know is what you need to know next. And that's how, that's how entrepreneurs think. Um, I'm starting a company that is essentially designed to be a billion uh, yes. a unicorn, a billion yeah. dollar company in the field of education where we have mapped it out to be a unicorn or a billion dollar company from day one. And you build it, you build it like that. You don't build it uh, to be a moneymaker, but the companies that come through birthing a giants, the only way you qualify to be in birthing a giants fellowship is you've already built the moneymaker. So, I'm simultaneously showing entrepreneurs how to pivot from moneymaker to moonshot, uh, as well as I'm building my own ed tech uh, moonshot, you know, which sort of takes advantage of all the things we already know. Um, and then, and the Moonshots and Moneymakers Conference at Oxford University is designed for everyone. So you don't have to be a business owner of a company with five to $250 million. You could just come because you're interested in business. We have CTOs coming and we have um, startup people coming and we have bank presidents coming. You know, everybody wants to know, how do I map out my path from moneymaker to moonshot? Yeah, which is like the thing that happened. Like, so my business partner and I, we were, uh, my prior businesses to uh, from the two I have right now, I did not have a business partner. And then what happened was, my business partner and I were in the same entrepreneur organization uh, forum group. So we knew each other for 15 years. Now he had sold his company for a very nice multiple. 
And, and then, um, and I was, um, transitioning away from the companies I had had. I had sold one for a small amount of money and, and another one, uh, was just, I basically, it lost its steam. Um, so we went for three years looking at the angel funding route where we were looking to fund other companies, which is so typical of a lot of, uh, entrepreneurs that are now out of the business. And, uh, we looked at, you know, hundreds of companies. We didn't like any of them and we didn't like this angel funding formula also, mm-hmm. you know, and there were so many people losing their shirts doing yeah. it. Right. So, so my point being here is we took a lot of time really figuring out where we wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Like the company that we wanted to open up for ourselves, sure, you know? And so I think people who have a lot of experience like yourself, you know, I, what I've learned now is if I was, I, I'm done starting companies, you know, mm-hmm. kind of, that's it. Right. You wouldn't, if you went to moonshots and moneymakers, you, you couldn't help yourself. You'd yeah. be like, this is, there is a, we are in a moment in time, just so you know, Stephen, where it's like, um, and this could pop, this could change, but it's almost like you live in, you know, California and it's 1849. And every time you walk outside, you kick a big chunk of gold. <laughs> and you're, what you just said is, yeah, I don't really bend over to pick those things up anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I think I might, I don't think my partner would bend over anymore. So, uh, so to speak, uh, you know, so, uh, but you know what, it's just, it's interesting now in that kids nowadays, you know, like I do some lecturing at colleges and I go in and I actually talk to the kids and you would be, I think, uh, Lewis, you wouldn't like what I tell them. And I, cause I tell them every kid is in there is trying to, wants to build a company that is angel funded or VC funded. Well, it's more angel funded. Like they're all looking for sure. money, right? They all yeah. want money. And I tell them there's another way of being an entrepreneur. Oh, you're, no, Stephen, you and I are in lockstep. Oh, I mean, okay. I literally wrote an article called How You Build a Moneymaker and a Moonshot, and I dedicate it to the students I teach at uh, Ryder University at the Norm Brodsky College of Business, um, who also have been indoctrinated into this idea that you should raise money. And I say, no, 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 no. Build a moneymaker. T- take, first of all, go get a job in a field where you just learn something. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, so let's say you took a job at the telephone company and then you realize, oh, you know, there's a division of the telephone company called the business telephone division or the uh, whatever division, right? The, the one that focuses on the healthcare and the, they have special needs in healthcare for telephone companies. And the next thing you know, you realize, oh, yeah, I could start a little business that addresses a specific problem in the healthcare telecommunications industry. And then you go start that little company with your own money you know, and you just get something going and you start what we call a moneymaker. Then you go through this whole thought pro- thought process you and I have been talking about, which is how do you make your company scalable and, uh, you know, less owner dependent. But then the last piece is how do you apply technology in a way that addresses the total addressable market and gross margins? Um, and I wrote an article on Forbes that's worth looking at because it's really just like a six step process that takes about 15 years. But it starts with do not raise money in the beginning because you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And the and the angels, like you and your partner were, are essentially wading into the pool of what's called fail factors. You know, the companies that you were funding had too many fail factors, too many potentials to fail. The three most obvious ones are that they didn't know their industry well enough. 
They didn't have to have a reputation or a brand, and they did not have a management or a leadership team to help them execute. So a moneymaker has all three of those things. So as an angel or as an investor, and, and if you just look at the way capital markets look at moonshots and moneymakers, the, moon, the moonshots that come out of our program, the, the fail factors have been almost eliminated. So their likelihood of success is way, way, way higher. That's why money loves these moonshots that come out of our program. Um, but the moonshots that are coming out of, let's say, startup, you know, with a, a kid with a, with a, a dream, the fail factors are too high. Yeah. You know, they raised their first quarter million and now they're hiring their first two, three people only to discover those first two or three people are the wrong people. And now they've just spent their whole quarter million dollars on the wrong people. It's just, it happens like a, in an instant. Yeah. I, uh, boy, I, you know, the other thing too is let's say, let's say you go through the program and let's say you don't have a, a, a moonshot, right? You're talking about going through moonshots and moneymakers yeah. or going through birthing a giants. Yeah. Uh, well, are there two different programs? Right. So Moonshots and Moneymakers takes place at Oxford University yeah. every August. Yeah. And it's really open to everyone who's interested in business because a lot of people don't understand how this moneymaker to moonshot pivot works. They don't understand how the how the innovation economy is working these days. But as I said, once you understand how the innovation economy is working, it's like you're walking outside and you're kicking a, a rock and you pick it up and you say, oh my God, this is a, a million dollars worth of gold. It's happening very rapidly. Um, but you have to understand the phenomenon. So they come to Oxford for that week. Gotcha. Shots money Birthing a Giants Fellowship Program is only for a very select audience. It's for people who own businesses between $5 million and $250 million. Yeah. Not their CTO, not their VP of it's anything. The the yeah, owner. I'm talking about the – I would rather go – I would rather have gone to the Birthing a Giants Program that you're talking about. That would be – and, and what my point being too is that even if I didn't make – um, a moonshot. If I went to Birthing and Giants with my company, just the focus on improving gross uh, your gross margins that would make a huge difference in anybody. Because, like going back to autodidactic, you know, someone who's been in business for three years or five years, you know, they all everybody thinks that revenue. It's so common. They think the revenue is the most important, right? The top line. It's well, not. there's a whole other group of people who think that how much money you raise is the most important. Uh, but you and I know neither one of those is important. It's profit. Well, that's the thing that bugs me with some of the kids that are out there who do go and their their job becomes raising money and not running a great business, you know, yeah. and building a great business. They're so like I'm amazed when I hear press releases go out and not well, that's not the right uh, how they talk about uh, oh that that guy's in a series B funding and he's raised this and he's done yeah. this. I'm like, I don't care about, it. tell me about your business. Yeah. And I could introduce you to some a great, you know, young entrepreneurs who've already learned this lesson. And, you know, they're students of mine uh, in my, in my, at my work with Norm Brodsky college of business. But um, that's because if you have a, anyone who loves, who says, I'm, I want to buy a new Louis Vuitton, Louis Vuitton bag or a Chanel this or a, whatever, you know, and some sort of fancy brand. And you, I always say to myself, why does that brand even matter? I mean, it looks like a brown leather bag to me, you know, okay, it's got the Louis Vuitton logo on it. That's about it. Well, Louis Vuitton has spent a lot of money convincing you that if you can get that logo on it, it somehow has more value. The capital markets, but particularly the venture capital world have spent a lot of money trying to convince everyone everywhere that the first thing they should do is raise money. Mm. All you have to do is know that that really benefits the venture capital industry. It doesn't really benefit the entrepreneur we're talking about. But 
neither does the Louis Vuitton bag. I mean, you can if you want to carry your stuff in something, you can carry it in a lot of different brown leather bags, but you pay five times more for the one with the logo on it because you've been taught that. It doesn't make sense, but you've been taught it. Venture capital has taught us to go out and raise money. It doesn't make sense, but we've been taught it. Yeah, there's, I don't know. I, I think there's nothing that I've been formally taught that ever be turned out to be true. It's all, <laughs> right? It's all, you know, experience, talking to other people who've done, gone through it. Uh, it, it makes a big difference. Well, I mean, there's, I can talk about this in both ways. So first of all, I'm a, I'm a college dropout, okay? But I'm also the author of a lot of books that are based on data. So I did my own thesis, if you will, in my own time. I started a school um, to teach people, but I teach people who have already proven that they can do something. They've already built businesses. Now we teach them how to build much bigger businesses. Um, so you can teach people who have already demonstrated that they have some some savvy in this area to be much bigger. LeBron James is the greatest basketball player alive, but he has a great coach too, of course. The greatest basketball player is going to have the best coach. Um, I think that birthing of giants is that. And Moonshots and Moneymakers at Oxford is for all those people who are not ready to go into uh, birthing of giants because they don't run a business of that size, but they want to understand this phenomenon early. And I would say that's an advantage in a lot of ways, right? Because you want to understand what's been working uh, before you even start. But the companies that come into birthing of giants, they're 5, 10, 20 years into their journey already. Yeah, last question I have to ask you. Uh, iVillage, that, uh, that I guess you owned iVillage or you acquired iVillage? No, I sold a company to iVillage. Oh, you sold it because uh, iVillage, I, I think uh, this Candace Carpenter. Yeah. Yeah, she, she wrote one of the best books that okay. I have on my top 10 list of books uh, called Chapters. And I thought it was very... I, I give it to people when they're struggling, not with their businesses, but when they have a transition, the, the whole concept that there's different chapters in your life, I mm. think, and that sometimes you have to move on to another new chapter. I thought that it was very, it, it was a really good concept that's still applicable today. Oh, cool. I actually never read it. Yeah. Honest, but I did work. I did sell my company to Candace. Yeah. 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 Um, so good. Well, unfortunately, uh, uh, but we, uh, we, that's all the time we have today. Uh, I, great. I thought it was gonna be a great topic. I learned a lot. I God, I wish I was a little bit younger and knowledgeable. I, mean, I don't know why you're saying that, Stephen. I mean, the average age of birthing a giants folks, you know, listen, the, the great resource of an entrepreneur is resiliency, right? Cause you know, you get your butt kicked over and over and over again. So the real question becomes, and I coach on entrepreneurs on this all the time is, yeah, you're going to get your butt kicked. You're going to get knocked to the ground. It only matters if you get back up. That's the only thing that matters. Well, and when we stop getting up, we we lose all the all the knowledge that we've acquired. It gets dissipated. Yeah, I, uh, to be honest with you, my uh, I, I, this is going to sound crazy. I'm bringing this up now, but my wife passed last last away last oh. year unexpectedly. Oh my, oh my gosh! And um, it, it, it's a blow. I'm 57 years old. I have 13 year old. A uh, 21 year old who's not who's in, just graduating college, so uh, I have yeah. a history of incredible resiliency and strong, and I am. But talking about getting up uh, off the ground uh, and talk about chapters, chapters, right? I, I have this big chapter. I honestly have enough money to kind of be kind of happy. I like what I do. It allows me to have the quality of life that I like. So I think I probably from this point have have quality of life businesses and not moonshot businesses. Yes. You know, 
And that's super important, right? Because when you do get into that moonshot thing, you you are managing a lot of craziness, a lot of other people's agendas. And what you just said to me is you just want to manage your own agenda. And uh, I think yeah. that that's very straightforward and but healthy. But the, the excitement of that next uh, uh, – of if, if my wife hadn't passed, uh, 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 the next chapter – do you know? Do I want to make that moonshot leap, which means a lot of hours? Um, I, I it would have been an interesting and intriguing thing that I would have raised to my business partner too. Yeah. So anyway, uh, again, I'd like to very I'd like to thank so very much Lewis Schiff from Birthing of Giants for coming on to today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend. And also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And please give us a review if you uh, like our podcast. It really helps uh, us spread the word out. They use those reviews as five stars to help rank us higher. So we would appreciate it. And if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com. Lewis, if anyone wants to get in touch with you or, or your organization, how do they go about doing that? It's as simple as birthingofgiants.com, where you'll learn about the fellowship program. You'll learn about um, the Moonshots of Moneymakers Conference that's taking place this August 8th through 12th at Oxford University. And for free, anyone can sign up for How I Did It, which is our video program where you can just learn, watch the case studies by video of some of the most amazing entrepreneurs you've ever met. That's cool. Uh, and if our listeners are interested, I, I tweet daily, uh, probably more like three times a week. <laughs> um, and my, uh, my handle is at S Halasnik. So it's S H A L A S N I K. I want to thank you all for listening today. And just remember that as an entrepreneur, you have to keep learning and you keep get better and better and better. And I think today's a good example of the different chapters in your entrepreneur life. And one of them is going uh, to be potentially, Capital markets, which would be a very interesting chapter. I know I, I'd be interested in even know if you can skip a chapter and go from being a small business to maybe really understanding the capital markets much better. And maybe you can get there quicker that way. Maybe that would have helped me a lot. Everybody have a fantastic day. Spring's around the corner. Try to get outside. Enjoy the really good weather as it comes along. And uh, again, thank you for listening to the Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Mm-hmm.